This episode of the Aquademia podcast is brought to you by Expulsa. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Aquademia podcast. I'm Sean O'Loughlin. And I'm Maddie Cassidy. And today we are sitting down with Susan Jackson, who is the president of the International Seafood Sustainability Foundation. And we are talking all about tuna fishery management and ISSF's five-year plan for tuna conservation. And it's a really cool conversation. It's chock full of tons of information. And I really think you're going to enjoy it. But before we get into that, I want to remind everybody to please subscribe to Aquademia wherever you listen so you can get every new episode directly downloaded onto your device as soon as it becomes available. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, you can do that by heading to our website, which is globalseafood.org slash podcast. You can submit ideas, topic questions, anything that you'd like. And we would love to hear from you. You can also follow us on Twitter at AquademiaPod. That's right. And we would love it if you could take a minute to leave us a rating and review wherever you listen. We really appreciate everybody that's already done that. And those reviews just help us out a lot. So thank you so much. Enjoy this conversation that we had with Susan and we will talk to you at the end. Welcome to the Aquademia Podcast. Our diet is hurting the environment in myriad ways. I mean, we desperately need to eat more seafood. This is a pioneering industry with a whole lot of people who have really good ideas and a lot of experience and are unafraid. Aquademia is your go-to podcast for a fresh take on all things seafood. So we are sitting down today with Susan Jackson, who is the president of ISSF, which is the International Seafood Sustainability Foundation. Very excited to have you here. How's it going, Susan? Great. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thank you for joining us. This is, um, you guys reached out to us and this is a, a really interesting topic that we're going to be talking about. As you know, we're trying to get more wild caught content into the archive of the Academia podcast. And this is a, a really important and interesting topic. We're going to be talking about some stuff with the tuna fishery. But before we get into our topic of the day, Susan, I want to learn about you. I want to hear who you are. I want our listeners to be comfortable with who they're listening to. So why don't you give us a little background on yourself? Okay, thank you. Um, I'm actually a lawyer by training and spent the first 12 years of my career uh, as a real lawyer, um, seven years in private practice, and then four years in the law department of the H.J. Heinz Company, which at the time owned Starkist Seafood and had a lot of uh, global affiliates. And that was part of the portfolio of legal business that I was assigned to. So I first started learning about tuna. Um, in 1997 from the legal side and the business side and uh, got got so enamored with the business side that then I spent another seven years on the business side of tuna. Um, and Starkist uh, was one of the founders of ISSF and I was the point person for Starkist at the time. And because of my mix of legal training, business knowledge, um, uh, all the companies that were founding ISSF thought that it would be a great fit for me to run the organization. And so with our NGO partners and our science partners and our business partners, I was the first and still to this date only um, president of ISSF because it really is a mix. You need to know the business side. Um, the legal side is always helpful. Plug for all you aspiring lawyers out there. Uh, <laughs> but but I was a litigator. And part of the fun things about litigation is you have to learn in really great detail about all sorts of things because every case is different. And, and that is a skill and part of being a lawyer that I loved. And so this gives me an ability to learn about science and to learn about various environmental issues. And I always say, if you love, no matter what you love, there's something in tuna for you because, <laughs> you know, just about every creature that lives in the ocean can be impacted. Lots of different science. You've got 
environmental security, you've got food security, you've got development economics, you've got gender issues, you've got working conditions, you've got it all. So uh, tuna is just a really, really fascinating place to work. Yeah. And so you, you are, you're a blue devil, correct? I well, I'm a fighting Irish and then a blue devil. Oh, right. <laughs> so yeah, it's Notre Dame undergrad and Duke for law school. Yeah. You can see, you guys can see how much I stalk our guests before we do it. It's, um, no. it's, you're very responsible. <laughs> so uh, I want, so what we're going to be talking about today, actually our lurker in the background, Charlie Patterson is the one that contacted me uh, about having you on. And he really gave a really clear and concise kind of rundown of uh, what this topic is going to be. So I want to just read actually what he wrote in his email. The International Seafood Sustainability Foundation just released their 2023 to 2028 strategic plan, which lays out their mission and approach to achieving its tuna fisheries sustainability objectives across the next five years. So that is what we are going to be talking about. Can you give us a little bit of info kind of leading up to this and how we got to this point, what uh, some of the issues are? that we're looking to address with this, and then kind of we can go into the actual plan itself from there. Does that sound good? Absolutely. Um, First, I think it's important to realize that tunas are managed by ocean basin-wide treaty organizations because tunas themselves swim through the waters of many different countries and through the high seas. So each ocean basin has its own treaty organization with, you know, 13 to 30 to 60 or so countries that have to adopt the management measures for tuna. Mm. They have really good scientific advice that is provided to them and the scientists have information and then they operate, they can vote, but pretty much they like to operate by consensus. And then they all need to go home and pass national legislation and enforce national legislation about what they agreed on. So when that's it, that's all. That's all. I know, right? And then, well, in a perfect world, they would transparently report back to the RFMOs, and the RFMOs would then transparently tell the rest of us how their member countries are doing with all of that. Um, So when ISSF first started, the reason why it started, I would say, was there was kind of a slowdown in the passage of necessary management measures. You know, the scientists said, you really need to, to catch less of this species or that species. And the managers were just having trouble developing the political will to do that. So our theory of change was and always has been get a large group of industry participants, scientists, and NGOs who work on tuna advocating for the same thing to their governments around the world, which should help the RFMOs get the political will to do what they need to do. I give you that by way of introduction because we're on strategic plan number three, and I don't want to make it sound like every time we do a new strategic plan, we don't think really hard about it. And they have changed in some important ways, but really it's been the same thing. We want tuna fisheries to be sustainably managed for the health of the tuna stocks and their ecosystem. We want to help the science be as good as it can be. We fund science. We partner with scientists. Our fishing company partners put scientists on their vessels. We help improve the science, and then we advocate for the science. And because we think you got to, you know, practice what you preach, we verify the compliance of all of our participating companies and the vessels that they source from with the things that ISSF board says that they should be doing. Since our very first strategic plan, 
our global benchmark for guiding our work as well as our definition of success is for all tuna fisheries to be able to meet the MSC certification standard. The Marine Stewardship Council is um, the only FAO compliant certification and rating for tuna fisheries. And that is what we guide our work by. There have been a few details on, on how we've changed and looked at that. And our new change with our new strategic plan is really important. The first two felt like it was more of a static definition. We said, meet the MSC certification standard without conditions. Full stop, our work here is done. Well, since we started, MSC has enhanced their performance indicators and their standard. And everyone has now realized science gets better, technology gets better, expectations are raised. And this notion that the definition of sustainability is a, is a point you know, on a plot and then that's it just really is not accurate. So one of the first and I think one of the main changes for our strategic plan this time is that they can meet and maintain the MSC certification standard, hmm. which is a nod to that notion that we expect MSC to be getting better as well. We're sticking with our science and our science-based practices, implementation of the uh, and verification of the things that the industry partners are implementing and continuing that advocacy and outreach to the tuna RFMOs themselves. Yeah, that's great. This very specific wording. It doesn't sound, you know, it doesn't sound like a big difference, but adding that those extra few words maintain Yes. Uh, you know, that makes sure that it, it, it ensures continual growth and continual progress on both ends. So that, yeah, you can tell you're a lawyer. <laughs> right? <laughs> Covering all the bases. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, just a few little words and it means several different paragraphs yep. of something different. <laughs> um, in this strategic plan, we also, for the very first time, articulated a theory of change. I just told you what it was when I gave our history. Like we all knew what we were trying to do back in 2008 and 2009 where we were starting this, but we really had never spelled it out for the world to understand. So that's a new change in this strategic plan. It is, you know, we advance the science. We want to make the science better. We want the industry to implement directly the scientific advice. We're going to verify that with, credibly verify it with a third party verifier. MSC is our guidepost, and we work with MSC-certified fisheries and fisheries trying to be MSC-certified, giving them tools to help them uh, reach that benchmark. Um, and then we advocate to the RFMOs with our advocacy really being grounded in the science. And then the, the intended result is that the industry is doing it. And we are credibly showing that, which really between that and the scientific recommendations is the best kind, kind of advocacy, we think, for the governments to adopt the things that they have to do. So you mentioned before that this is the third strategic plan that ISSF has released. And I'm curious, when you were talking about like the state of fisheries management, one thing, one word that you mentioned that stuck out to me was enforce. Because I yeah. feel like that is probably the most challenging aspect of fisheries management is enforcement. And I'm wondering like what the what the landscape was like prior to ISSF's first strategic plans and how you've seen progress over the years. Yep. So each RFMO 
has, they all call it something different, but it is at its core a compliance committee. And they take the reports that their member countries send them about how they're doing and implementing the measures, and they review them. Um, I don't want to really put a stake in the ground at the beginning, but let me tell you kind of where they are now and what we still are working on now, because I think it's really important and that'll kind of help you understand what the various shortcomings are. First of all, um, large scale, purse is a type of tuna boat. And mm-hmm. for the most part, they have 100% human observer coverage. So there's a human observer on the boats mm-hmm. and they do reports. Flag states very greatly in how thorough they are in the, in the review of the observer reports. And a lot of them are still paper. So that makes it hard. Yeah. So we are working a lot on electronic monitoring and even electronic reporting for both skippers and observers. You know, there's also a skipper's log that the flag states should be reviewing. Every RFM, so that's per se. Longline and other gear types have much, much lower observer coverage even. Um, Longline is 5%. One RFMO is about to raise it to 10. And some other gear types don't have any. So for a very, very large proportion of what compliance information the companies, the country, sorry, are reporting back, it's self-declared either self-declared by the boat or self-declared by the country. Um, So a lot of what we're trying to do is making sure that the information is submitted on a more real-time basis in a way that can be easily digested and reviewed. We're pushing for RFMOs. You know, they receive a lot of data, but oftentimes they only have authority to use it for scientific purposes but not compliance purposes. So trying to make sure that data that gets directly from the vessels to the RFMOs for one purpose or the other can actually be used for both science and compliance purposes. Um, We would like the compliance meetings and the information that they are reviewing all to be available to observers. Um, And some observers can't even get in the room and can't see the information that's submitted. They just get the report at the end. In others, you can see the information and be in the room. And then in some others, you can be in the room, but you can't see the detailed information that they're talking about. So we're trying to make sure that um, that information is clear. We would, the RFMO should, and some do, have what's called a, you know, scheme of responses to non-compliance. You know, I liken it to when your kids are in middle school and you kind of get like, how many conduct points equals a detention and how many conduct <laughs> points do you get, right? Like that, it, at its core, that's what it is, right? If you Maddie, you probably know all about that, right? <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. Maddie was a troublemaker. <laughs> I will say that um, <laughs> my husband and I were the ones that were responsible for our daughter's only <laughs> detention her entire time because we were texting her during school. And whoops. Oh, no. <laughs> Our son scaled through without any, and she claimed she did too, and I think that's a fair um, assessment. But I knew what the rules were because, you know, I'm a lawyer. But, <laughs> but so they, they should publish those rules in advance, and then they should enforce those rules. And then the reports that they put out should be very specific. This country didn't do that, and according to this rule, this is what's happening. So that's sort of the best in class. Um we're still doing a lot of advocacy and, you know, a, a lot of capacity building and education around that. Again, we think some of the best ways to help that is to be 
to demonstrate that from the industry side, they're willing to do that extent of compliance checking and public reporting of their compliance results and, you know, radiation plans and strategies for how they're going to do better. So having the industry lead by example, and hopefully the countries will continue along their path of improvement. So it is getting better, yeah. but, there's, but it's a slog. What are some of the um, some of the educational offerings that you guys that you're doing to to help them? Uh, well, uh, one of the things we partnered with um, the Pew uh, Trust and did a multi. It was a nice COVID project. It was a multi year suite of compliance experts work workshops where they we jointly brought together virtually, you know, compliance managers, compliance committee chairs, um, and other, you know, academics and NGOs in the compliance space and put out some really nice papers and advice on how to improve the compliance systems within the RFMOs, RFMO specific advice. And now members of that experts panel are doing presentations to the RFMOs to kind of help them understand better um, what needs to happen and, you know, how to improve that work. So that's, that's a, a, a pretty recent example. Um, we are a partner with many others. Um, the Global Environment Facility has funded uh, a five-year second round of an areas beyond national jurisdiction on the oceans project. Tuna is a large part of that work. Uh, the FAO is running it, and as part of that work, there's a lot of compliance missions and capacity building um, to coastal countries to help them, you know, improve their own monitoring of either their waters and or their vessels to train observers um, to explain, you know, the RFMO compliance processes to them. So there are a a lot of oars in the water, so to speak, on uh, <laughs> capacity building on compliance improvements. That's great. And I admire the approach that you've taken when it comes to compliance and transparency and rules and enforcing rules, because I think that the industry as a whole more and more wants transparency into other sides of the industry. So I think that making that information public to not only people within the tuna fisheries, but also people outside of it, and maybe even motivated consumers is a really great approach to have. Thank you. So, Susan, I, I have a couple. I, I, I want to get into the actual plan. I know mm -hmm. we kind of been talking about it throughout this whole conversation, but can we drill down kind of specifically into like the written out plan, what what we're looking to do within these next five years? Yep. So also for the first time, we articulated a five-year goal because we've always articulated, you know, a a big objective, uh, yeah. but you know, that is a very long-term project. So we now have a five-year goal that by the end of this plan, end of 2027, all the tuna fisheries from which the participating companies are sourcing can meet and maintain the MSC certification standard, or they have a clear roadmap and timeline in place to get there uh, that is underpinned by the best available science. And we will be looking to the companies to report against that. And, um, you know, as verified uh, by our compliance auditors. So, so really taking a, a shorter term approach than we have in the past to defining in a, to demonstrating in a clearly defined way how things have hopefully improved in the past five years. So that's the first thing. Um, few other changes I would say we have, we call them strategic pillars, basically the three ways 
bodies of work, if you will. Science is obviously a very important one and where we spend the bulk of our time and our resources. And within science, um, we work on tuna fisheries and stocks. We work on the ecosystem impacts of tuna fishery, you know, of, I should say, that impact tuna fisheries, right? So some of it is how do tuna fisheries themselves impact the ecosystem um, where the tuna are and other elements could be how other forces on the ecosystem are impacting tuna stocks. Plastic comes to mind. Ghost gear comes to mind. Mm -hmm. um, monitoring, control, and surveillance. Uh, we've talked a lot about RFML compliance, but it's more than that, right? It is observers, electronic monitoring, I, you really like in the in the weeds, how do the RFMOs put boats on and take them off their IUU lists and how they can make those lists more reflective of what's really happening? How are they using their vessel monitoring system data? What kind of data are they requiring be submitted and are they making the best use of that data? Um, how, are, how are they listing and delisting their authorized vessels and how are they monitoring that? So Monitoring, control, and surveillance is a very large uh, topic. And then lastly, fishing capacity. Uh, working with the fisheries, meeting them where they are. Do they, some of them control capacity, how, how many boats can catch, some of them control catch, how many catch of each species should be allowed in a given year. Um, boats are easier to count. If you're going to uh, work on how, how many tons you can catch, then you better have your real-time data reporting that we talked yep. about, your observer coverage, your monitoring control and surveillance really buttoned up because that's just harder to monitor in real time. Um, so those are, those are the four, four categories, I would say, uh, under everything that we're doing on science. Under influence, um, the people that we talk to, the people that we want to uh, help us build the political will and then to actually pass the measures that need to be done. Well, of course, the member countries of the RFMOs and working, you know, oftentimes people say RFMOs, but that's just the staff, you know, they're, they're a conduit of information and they make uh, recommendations, but it, the real political will needs to come from the member countries themselves. And so we're talking, working with the staff, working with their science bodies um, and their compliance bodies, and also uh, advocating to the member nations, um, advocating and working with in partnership with uh NGOs that work in this space, trying to align what we're asking for as much as possible with other groups so that, again, that consistent ask is broad. Um, markets, retailers, food service companies, um, helping them understand the issues, getting them involved in advocacy to their governments, getting them involved in advocacy uh, or expectations of their suppliers that align with the scientific um, measures that, that we think boats and processors should be following. And then obviously outreach to the vessels themselves um, to help them understand the issues, uh, provide capacity, lots of capacity. Uh, we do on things like best ways to avoid bycatch, best ways to handle them if you do catch them to maximize their survival. Um, so a lot of work with, with vessels, how to modify their fish, fishing gear in a way that might make them uh, more environmentally friendly. And then verification. We've been talking a lot about that, looking at how the participating company compliance the, and the vessels and using our third-party compliance auditor to credibly demonstrate in, um, you know, at least annually 
compl- companies get an annual compliance audit. 2022 is coming out next week. Um, the the vessels are are more real time on our website because we have between the two lists we have a, you know over 2,000 audits that we have to do every year. So our compliance auditor does those on a rolling basis. So uh, it's not like there's a cutoff date for the new one. It is just as each vessel gets a new one, the the results are updated and their history is also there. This episode of the Aquademia podcast is sponsored by Expalsa. Expalsa brings you the freshest and highest quality seafood from trusted farms committed to sustainable and responsible farming practices. Their Vanamai shrimp is versatile and perfect for a range of dishes with a variety of options to suit your needs, including raw, head-on, or headless, and value-added products. Expalsa's exceptional service and quality products have earned them a reputation as one of the leading shrimp exporters in the world. Join them on the seafood journey and click the link in the show notes to visit their website today. Expalsa, exporting the best Ecuadorian shrimp since 1984. And then lastly, labor and social. Oh, that's issues. what I was just going to ask. I, know, I was going to say, I know this is primarily environmental, but I was going to ask if there was any social aspect to any of it. There is. We have had read my for, mind. <laughs> <laughs> we have had for a number of years a conservation measure that requires the participating companies to post on their website what, if anything, they are doing on a number, I think it's seven, of chapters, I call them, you know, with regard to forced labor or child labor or crew member contracting and payment, crew member working conditions, uh, you know, um, the things you would expect. We have not gotten to the point where we set a minimum uh, benchmark because that's not our expertise. There are groups out there Um, that are experts in this realm, but we felt that we would be providing uh, an important transparency tool for them all to have the participating companies make those disclosures. So then they could either provide feedback to us or feedback to the companies directly on where they may be falling short or help them improve on what's been disclosed. The other thing that's announced in this new strategic plan that is new Um, We have put together an advisory committee on working conditions on fishing vessels that's going to work with me and provide advice to our board and also then uh, our, our environmental stakeholder committee and then our board on ways that ISSF or the participating companies directly could enhance in a way that is truly helpful and meaningful, their efforts in this regard. And it may be some ISSF things. It may it may be company things. Um, and I should say social is a good place to start on this, but really this cuts across everything. Most of our compliance to date is thumbs up, thumbs down. You pass it or you fail it. We have a few measures where they, where the companies report you know, percentages to show progress over time. And our compliance auditor checks the math so that their self-reported percent that they buy from an MSC certified fishery, for example, is is accurate. Um, And that may be a way forward, not only on social, because there is a lot of work. Um, it is, it, it's hard, you know, boats are just very different than anything else because they're out at sea. So your ability to get eyes on and talk to the crew is also limited and it is, you know, so international and, um, immigration laws are different. 
Labor laws are different. I'm not at all making any excuses. These are very important issues, but this is not something that you can say, yep, we audited them this year and it all looked good. So we can feel good about that. Yeah, That's not how working conditions work. You, you can't come up with a, like a all encompassing right. set of, of regulations, right? Right. Plus the people that you have, if you have observers on there, I mean, observers, that's a tough, tough job. <laughs> Probably not the right people to ask to do this for that very reason. Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but what we're learning and what we're starting to explore is what other things that we've been doing pass fail auditing about on the environmental side might we actually be able to go farther if we switched it to a continuous improvement demonstrate progress um, sort sort of compliance auditing. Um, because, you know, we don't run observer programs. We're, we're obviously very limited in the types of things that we can send MRAG to check on. But yeah. um, if, if we change the paradigm a bit in our, on how we define compliance from you must do this to you must tell us how well you're doing in implementing this and have MRAG verify that, maybe there are some, some topics that we could handle more meaningfully than we have to date. So that's, that is a whole new line of work that has resulted from this strategic plan with this notion embedded into continuous improvement being, you know, the words of the day, both recognizing how MSC and their fishery standard improves over time, um, science improves over time, notions of sustainability improve over time, and we should be expecting the companies to improve over time. So I just want to, for clarification, because we we talk about a lot of different certification mm -hmm. programs on yep. this, and obviously they encompass a lot of different steps along the supply chain. So I just want to confirm for all of our listeners that we are talking about uh, the fishery, the capture. We're not talking about processing or any other things. So ISSF correct? participating companies are actually only processors, marketers, and traders of tuna. A company that is primarily a vessel owning company or retailers markets, they are not uh, within scope hmm. for being participating companies. That's an antitrust rule. Um, so that's why we do advocacy <laughs> to markets and vessels and we partner with them and we work with them um, and we work with the NGOs that work with them. But from our perspective, when we are um, auditing companies, we're auditing Starkist. Bolton, which is Rio Mare, or Prince's Tuna, or um, Chicken of the Sea, or Bumblebee, you know, the, the names on the shelf. We're, we're auditing the companies and or the brands that produce that tuna, but we're looking down in order for them to be in compliance, it's all about the tuna that they source. So the auditors oh. are looking at the boats that they buy from to make sure that the what they buy is in compliance with the conservation measures. Okay, so I'm so glad I also, asked that. Yeah, I'm glad you that, too. That's why we also audit the vessels. Because that clears things up a lot, yeah. Yeah, you audit the companies, you have to audit the vessels. That yeah, okay, I was really confused about that. That makes it feel somewhat more manageable than what I had in my head. So I'm glad that. <laughs> yes. Thank we you for clarifying that. I, I, I said it, clarifying it for our listeners, but clearly I meant for me. <laughs> <laughs> we have 25 participating companies. They are major purchasers of every species of tuna except bluefin in every ocean. And they are more than half of the processing capacity in the world. Wow. But okay. 25 is a much more manageable number than thousands right. of exactly. boats. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, 
So now that you have launched and announced this strategic plan for the next five years, have you heard, I mean, obviously holding people to a higher standard, there's always going to be challenges that come along with that. So I'm wondering if ISSF has experienced any pushback or feedback from companies that might be unsure of how they can manage these higher standards. No, I mean, but part of it is the way we conduct our strategic plan. This is a years-long effort, and we have a consultant who's done all three plans, and they talk to the executive committee, they talk to the boards, they talk to the company representatives, they talk to our environmental stakeholder committee, they talk to representatives of our scientific advisory committee, they talk to the found members of the foundation funding community, they talk to the vessel community. And so it is a pointed, like pointed in that the conversation is facilitated and the questions are there, but it is about a six-month listening session. And then it is a refinement and listening section session. So in a perfect world, and we've hit it three times in a row now, when it comes before the ISSF board for that last time, anybody who's made a comment should feel heard. Um, you know, there are always a few things you have to hash out at the end, but if you do the process right, um, they they should be on board. I I think the companies were all excited about it. The board was excited about it. We've received uh, complimentary feedback from the environmental community. You know, I as with everything, I think there are questions, but that's why we your five year strategic plan doesn't all have to be done on day one. So that's right. why we're <laughs> taking time with the social uh, advisory committee, and that's why we're taking time relooking at how we might think about changing the way we measure compliance to more be more reflective of the notion of continuous improvement. So that's not to say that while people didn't, you know, everyone's good with the words, but also people recognize that there are still topics of work that need additional conversations to come. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And I imagine that, that if there is any pushback or reluctancy within this realm, it's going to be coming from the vessels or the vessel owners themselves pushing back against the companies that you work with. So I would imagine. I don't want to generalize. I, no, you know, no, no, no. I would say, and I would say they're all different. I mean, that's part of the fun thing about this. Oceans are different. Fleets are different. Oftentimes, some fleets are doing something really best in class, and they would love it if we could get other fleets, their competitors, to do the same thing. So, mm -hmm. you know, you really can't uh, put a broad brush. But no, at no, the no. end of the day, you're right. Um Things don't change unless something that's happening on the water changes. And the mm -hmm. boats are the ones that have to make the changes. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, speaking of improvement, you have a lot of uh, information and resources on your website about FIPS. We've talked about FIPS. We've talked about APES. This is something that our, our audience is very familiar with at this point. Um, what is your involvement with FIPS and kind of, you know, how, uh, how involved are you with those within the tuna fishery? Yes. Yeah, so everything... So since everything we do should be helpful to fisheries who want to be MSC certified, by definition, that means everything we do should be equally helpful to a FIP, right? An MSC, even an MSC certified fishery may have some conditions that they need to close. And FIPs are fisheries that need to aspire to be MSC certified, but they can't meet even the lower benchmark yet for certification. So all of our work, all of our tools um, all of our advocacy tools are really designed so that both FIPS and MSC certified fisheries, we hope will make use of them 
in progressing against their action plans to improve their fishery. So we have skippers guidebooks in all the languages that show them, you know, bycatch and gear design and, you know, all that stuff. And we have, we share our advocacy positions with them and our advocacy toolkits because every FIP and MSC, every MSC fishery needs to still be doing some element of advocacy around um, harvest strategies. So, Mm -hmm. you know, we do outreach directly to the FIPS too, to hear from them what they want and what they need. We'll, we do train the trainers and skippers workshops with FIPS. Um, I was just going to ask about that yep. skippers workshops. Yeah, We do them. We've done lots and lots of lots of them and, and we continue to do them. Y- you know, that is one of our most successful programs. The scientists love it and the fishers love it because the scientists get all sorts of information back that helps them guide their science and throw out crazy, you know, ideas. Hey, do you think this would work? Hey, do you think that would work? And skippers will either be like, yeah, we should give that a try or there's no way that would work. And let me, let me tell you why. And then all the, all the viable ideas, we partner the scientists with fishing vessels for the trials. And those are almost always boats that are in uh, FIPS themselves. So for example, Right now, we have a whole bunch of biodegradable fads that are fishing in the ocean, being deployed by Persane fleets, almost always in a FIP. Um, There may be a few that are MSC certified with some conditions uh, for their fad fishery. But this is, again, the scientists work with material scientists to come up with biodegradable material that they felt would last long enough, and then work came up worked with skippers to come up with the designs and then got the skippers to deploy like as they would normally deploy fads, their design, new design, their design, new design, (laughs) report what they're catching on it back to the scientists. Um, So the scientists can study if they catch tuna the same, worse or better than their more traditional design, how long they last so that our ultimate recommendation on a biodegradable fad design um, actually works. But also by partnering the scientists and the skippers together over the course of the experimental design and all that work, it it helps take up. The, the fishers are they are accepting of the idea because they were a large part of the, developing the solution. So those are the types of things we do with FIPS. MSC Fisheries, we do all the same things with them. Plus, we provide your stakeholder comment uh, within the MSC certification process for you know, every assessment, every annual uh, surveillance up audit, and every reassessment. So we're also very active stakeholders um, within the MSC certification process itself for all the tuna fisheries. Again, helping to get uptake, it's outreach to the skippers and the vessels, getting them on board with the same advocacy that needs to be done. It's awesome. Well, this your website, uh, which we will link to in the show notes, is pretty impressive resource with a lot of uh, information for people that are in the in the industry. So I really recommend anyone that is in the tuna fishing industry or is interested in becoming a part of that, or even just the fishing industry in general, definitely check out their website, click the link in the show notes, and um, check it out because there's a lot of resources on there. Uh, we're getting a little bit close to time. So Susan, I want to ask some questions that we kind of asked at the end of all of our episodes. And, and the first one is, what's next? What are the goals? What's on the horizon? See what the advice comes in from the social advisory body. Uh, see what changes maybe come with compliance to see how that might broaden what, what we do. And uh, try to get more 
information, more comprehensive information out there about all the advocacy initiatives that all of our partners are doing. You know, we kind of send them these toolkits and we have some aggregated statistics, but we heard loud and clear through the uh, strategic plan process that people think it would be really helpful if we had some more information about that as well. Other NGOs, for example, felt that it would help them to get their market partners um, or fleet partners or whatever to, you know, join in the advocacy. So those were our three, you know, I, I would say really roll up your sleeves, dig in and uh, see what more we can do in those three areas. Gotcha. And then the last thing that we'd like to ask is, what is it that you need? You know, you you have goals, you, your company has goals. What What is it that you all need? For our listeners, if anyone is able to help with resources or anything, what what is it that you will need to help achieve your goals? Um, well, one of the things that if if you are a fisher and you would be interested in partnering with um, scientists, let us know because um, that's always something we love to partner with fleets. And if you hadn't heard about those opportunities, um, reach out to us directly, and uh, we'll we'll keep you on the list. Um, secondly, at, you know, advocacy. All of our advocacy statements are up on our website. Um, so no matter what country you live in, if they're part of a tuna RFMO, you download that statement and say, we support these recommendations as well. Um, if you're a consumer, educate yourself. Uh, you know, obviously MSC is our benchmark, um, but it, there are other ways too. It, you know, some, some, People say we just want to buy from companies that are participating in ISSF because we like a kind of tuna that we can't get that with an MSC certification. Like whatever it is, educate yourself. Uh, expect that there is credible traceability back so that you really can find out what fishery the fish that you're eating came from. And uh, if you can't, at least ask. Because if you don't ask, then the people you're buying it from aren't going to care. I I have, I have the whole list of questions my poor sushi server has to uh, answer before I place my order. And uh, I, I think it's important to do that. For sure. Maddie, do you have anything else before we wrap up? Just if you have any other resources or anything that you'd like us to link in the show notes, we would be more than happy to include. I don't think we have anything that's not on our website. But, you know, if you've looked through the website and find anything that might be particularly useful, um, you know, for example, we do an e an e newsletter uh, that is really uh, people find it fascinating. So maybe you wanted to include a specific link for people to sign up. You, you can find it on our website. It should be easy to find, but I, I think that might be a, a a good other step to send your folks to. It's Perfect. quick, two or three stories a month. Fantastic. So, Susan, is there anything else that you want to get out there while you have the platform? Oh, okay. thanks so much, but I've talked a lot. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we do here, you know? Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of our thing. All right. Well, if nothing else, then uh, I just want to say thank you so much for joining us. Charlie, uh, you know, in the background here, thank you for reaching out to us and setting this up. Uh, we really appreciated you having, having you on, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Great. Thank you. Folks, that was our conversation with Susan Jackson from ISSF. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you learned as much as I did. <laughs> and uh, As we did. Yeah. It was uh, so much information. It was really good. I'm really glad Susan was able to join us. And I apologize if you heard a little commotion. Uh, I'm not going to lie. In the middle of that conversation, I spilled an entire cup of scalding hot coffee on me. 
all and, over his leg. <laughs> and I j- kind of jumped and he up. he played it really cool. I kind of jumped up and danced around a little bit. But um, if you didn't notice, uh, then you, this is just a treat for you at the end. If you didn't notice, that's what that was. Yeah, this is what you have <laughs> earned by listening all the way to the yeah. end of the show. Uh, anyway, I want to remind everyone, as I always do, to please... Make sure that you're subscribed to Academia wherever you listen. So every time a new episode comes out, it'll automatically be downloaded to whichever device you choose to listen to us on. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, the easiest way to do that is on our website, which is globalseafood.org slash podcast. Or you can follow us on Twitter at AquademiaPod. And if you have a couple minutes, we would really appreciate it if you could leave us a rating and review wherever you listen. It really helps us out and we appreciate everybody that has already done that. Maddie, talk to me about membership. Oh, yes. If you want to take the next step with showing your support for responsible seafood practices or for the work that we do at GSA, which is things just like this podcast, then we would love and majorly appreciate if you would become a member of Global Seafood Alliance and you can do that by heading to globalseafood.org slash membership. Thank you again to Expalsa for sponsoring this episode of the Aquademia podcast and uh, we will talk to you next time. Ciao. Bye.